Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Thank you, Mr. Intro Man. You're very reliable. It's Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com. It is, what is it, Mark? It is episode 237. 234, that's how off the mark I am. No, 237, let me turn off Intro Man. Friday the 15th of April, 2022. Hello, Mark. Hello, listeners. Hello, Hello, world. Hello, viewers. Well, it's I'm in a bit of a happy mood, as you noticed beforehand, Mark, because we're heading into a little Easter break here, have a few days off, working a small shift in between, but um, I'm feeling the chill, Mark. I am feeling the chill. Um, You've earned it, Brendan. You need a little, like, downtime, so I'm glad for you. I say I'm looking forward to it. From should... my extended holiday. Yes, and speaking of feeling the chill, is it a little bit chilly where you are at the moment? It is. It is definitely. Um, uh, well, we're on the west coast of Tasmania, and it's living up to its reputation weather-wise. It's overcast. It's not blowing too much. The temperature's about eleven degrees, I think. And um, yeah, it's it's cool, cool and wet. Just like you, Mark, cool, wet, wild, and a bit unruly. Um, west coast of Tasmania. There we go. Um, well, we don't have an email this week. We haven't um, read out an email for a while, so I'm feeling a bit um, feeling a bit sad in that respect, Mark. We need some more emails from our listeners, our subscribers, vetgurus at gmail.com. Say hello, where you're from, what place in the world you're from, what sort of work you do, what animals you work with in the vet practice. Just say hi, and we'd we will that. say hi back. We'll probably do more than that. We'd say hello. Good to hear from you. So no emails, Mark. Um, I want actually. I've, we, I said we're going to review some products, didn't I? Um, but I'm you not. You changed I'm, your mind. Yeah, I've decided to. Since you did a, a raving review on a TV or a streaming series, Mark, I thought I would do the same this week. And I've just finished watching the finale of the Apple TV series Severance. And, gee, I loved it. And he watched it with me. We loved it. Um, it was very dark, very dark. And the premise of the story is that in the near future, you can have your brain severed, where they basically put a little microchip. It looks like um, microchips, Australia microchip, Mark, um, the same size and everything. And they pop a little hole in the back of your head and they shove that in there and you can be severed if you want to be. And it separates or severs, um, as the name suggests, your daytime work with your non-daytime work. So as soon as you walk into work at 9am or whenever that may be, your brain switches to your daytime mode and the daytime person does their work they don't know about the other person. They have no idea who the other Brendan is um, out of work. And when you clock off, 
you flip back to your outie. They call it innies and outies. Your innie is the one who wow. works. And so the innie doesn't know what the outie does and the outie doesn't know what the innie does. Or actually the outie does because the outie is one who chose to be seven. Um, so it follows four people in this office that they don't know what they're doing really in there or why they're doing it. It's a bit of a spoiler. Well, we don't really find out even at the finale. Um, and they are a bit peeved, Mark, about their um, reason why they're there and they want to find out more about their lives because they, they have no idea whether they're married or they have kids or, or what they do um, as outies. They just experience, they wake up or switched on when when they walk through the lift door um, and vice versa when they head off. So all they experience is work time. So And people choose to be severed for very various different reasons. Usually it's people who aren't having a great life out, out normally, so they want to separate their, their working life from their family life. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, and... The only spoiler alert I would say is um, there is a season two yeah. <laughs> coming. They've okayed a season two, but it's uh, fantastic. Um, and it's amazing how much good writing can do, and it's based on a book, I think, um, because all really 90% of it's just in this bland, sort of futuristic-type bland white office. And that's it with a couple of retro-looking computers um, there. Um, with these four people and dialogue between the four people and it sounds boring but it's actually fantastic and you end up loving the four people or i did um and really feeling for them the innies the one who at work and they they struggle to try and find out what they really are and who they are as a outie as well and yeah it would be spoiler if i spoke about that anymore but i love to mark it's a, a very solid 8.6 out of 10 it's streaming only on Apple TV and um, highly recommend it. Yeah, Severance. I'll put that on the list. I'll put that on the list, Brendan. Is, it, is, that, is there many other Apple TV series that? Um, Shows, I, yes. the, the dinosaur one is coming up. Yes, Have you that seen one. That? Yeah, which is narrated by um, um, David his, his truly. Yep, and Sir David. Um, yes. Yeah, so Severance, the other fantastic one that we're watching at the moment is. Um, it is amazing. It is the best spy thriller I've seen um, for probably a decade, if not long. It's called Slow Horses, and that's an Apple oh. TV one. It's just started. It's about um, these um, dysfunctional team of MI5 agents in, in England, um, and one of the main characters is Gary Oldman, and Gary Oldman's fantastic, um, the actor. It is fantastic. It is uh, that's better than Severance, and Severance is a very good. Um, and yeah, that's a bit. And Annie loves watches lots of spy thrillers all the time, and she's absolutely riveted with it as well. This one, so Slow Horses, um, yeah, highly recommend. So there you go, you get two for the price of one here, Mark. Two um, for the price of one. Brendan and Mark Vetguru's review um, show. Um, so I think with that, we need to jump into some news, Mark, and you can take the first one. And as usual, I think it's about a bird. And as usual, it's about a bird that's critically endangered. And maybe, just maybe, um, well, uh, it's gone. It's 
it's gone the wrong way from critically endangered. So it's the story of the Spix's macaw, that uh, the species that um, gives rise to the animated uh, character in the film um, Rio, um, Blue, a captive raised Spix macaw, um, and and geez, uh, it looks like all the positive stuff that we talk about with um, species uh, on the brink. Uh, this is one of those examples where um, it's uh, been deemed that the Spix's macaw is one of eight species um, that uh, um, has their extinction confirmed or deemed highly likely in a new study by BirdLife International. Um, and, geez, I can't say it's a huge surprise, um, the really interesting thing about Spix macaw going uh, under is that um, most of the recent uh, bird extinctions have to do with um, island populations, small groups of birds um, on remote islands, and then, you know, obviously it's uh, their habitat can be smashed by uh, rats or in other introduced species, brown tree snakes or whatever it is. Uh, but this is a bird on a major continent um and um you know the the damage to its habitat the loss of habitat the loss of trees um uh, has meant that um that it looks like there's none left and even though there was uh there was the possibility that a bird was seen a few years ago in the wild that was in um which you did they think they saw there was one reported about 2011, I think. Um, but yes. um, they, 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 there's even some question about whether that was a a, uh, a real spot. Um, and so, the good thing, I suppose, the, and I'm always trying to take good things out of these um, these story the, these stories. There is a, a captive population of between 60 and 80 birds, um, and so. The strict terms of the classification is extinct in the wild, um, but um, yeah, whether um, those sixty or eighty birds can give rise to enough individuals to re-release, I have my doubts, Brendan. Yes, the Spix is next, Mark. That should be the highlight for um, the, the the catch line for that one, and it's not a happy story, is it? Um, and I'm just reading that quote. A little um, quote to the side in this article: ninety percent of bird extinctions in recent centuries have been species on islands. However, our results confirm there is a growing wave of extinctions sweeping across the continents, driven mainly by habitat loss and degradation from unsustainable agriculture and logging. According to Dr. Stuart Butchart, Mark, from the Birds Life's Chief Scientist. So, yeah, it's not great news. Is I don't think my story is not particularly a great story either, Mark. I, 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 this one, I'd, I'd like your opinion on this one. This is um, one local to me, Mark, um, the plan to, and the headline is a bit of a pun that I could have written, plan to rain deer growth oh, on Melbourne's outskirts. Hunter, hunters will target feral deer in Melbourne's outskirts in an effort to prevent them from destroying the environment. 
and they have been seen very close in the in the inner city suburbs or the inner suburbs in Melbourne, Victoria here in Australia, Mark. Um, and the state government is planning on spending some money to get professional ground shooting by hunters, Mark, to try and control them as part of the peri-urban deer control plan. Although, and I'd like your comment on this, Mark, tranquilizer guns followed by lethal injections may also be used. I think cost-wise they're probably not going to be doing that. It's too intensive. And, um, yeah, lots of, lots of... Um, so deer were introduced to Australia in the 1800s for game hunting and it wasn't until about the 1980s that the numbers began climbing markedly and environmentally they're a catastrophe, according to this article. So they're... they're they're everywhere, Mark, and there's lots of little YouTube channels and showing deer running through Melbourne suburbs and down little um, shopping centres, etc. Um, the hunters are like, like uh, happy though, Mark. Um, the um, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. The Australian Deer Association is up for it and they want to um, help in trying to reduce the deer numbers. But you know, I. I I think we've got Buckleys are getting rid of them now. Um, is my, my summary of it. What do you think, Mark? I think you're right. I think you should explain to our international uh, listeners. They probably can figure out what Buckleys is. Um, but um, it's, it's fascinating because we um, we definitely have the – there's actually been a couple of – there was a fatal accident of a motorist who hit a deer um, the other side of Cessnock late last year and – and as I'm travelling across Tasmania and going into all the national parks, one of the prominent signs at all the entrant or entry points, uh, besides you know, pay for your um, park pass, is um, report all deer that they're exploding down here as well. And so, I do think it's a, a nascent environmental catastrophe. Just we're seeing it um, take off, and in the, given the exponential nature of growth. Um, I am worried that it's going to be dumped on top of all the others, and um, and I don't know. I I have my doubts that um, that the shooters will make a significant difference to the population once it gets a foothold, Brendan. Yep. So there you go. We have two a little bit depressing or a lot <laughs> depressing a news stories there, but we we report all the news. No fear, no favour, Mark. We try and be positive, but sometimes we have to report the we'll sad make sure, news. We'll make sure we are very positive next time. We'll be positive next time. Uh, and with that, we'll jump into a, well, potentially a negative main topic here, Mark. Um, but it's it's an important one. It's that We haven't done many podcasts about practice management and dealing with um, issues like this, which everybody tries to avoid, and that's dealing with the angry client and uh, I think this is a really good one and uh, um, you and I both have some experience with with, with this um, <laughs> and I think our thoughts are, um, some of it's just acquired over the years but also go into various you know um, business management sort of sessions and, and recommendations on how to deal with um, problem clients um, I think we've got a few tips here that may be useful there mark um so i'm going to jump in and and we might be a little bit all over the shop with how we're going to address this but i'll, I'll just open it up with that unfortunately it's mostly the the front staff that 
cop it, isn't it? It's um, the, the receptionists, the nursing staff, um, the vast majority of the time that, that get caught out with the angry client. Um, the, con- the, the client comes out of the consult room with the vet and um, then they only start screaming when they get to the counter. And that may be related to, you know, the financial situation, but... Um, and then they switch off again when they talk to the vet again and they're all, you know, nice and pie with Brendan and then they may scream and yell at the the front staff. So um, I think it's a universal thing, isn't it, that that, that the front staff um, get get barreled with all of this and um, very unfairly. And um, I that leads into one of our other other comments about this um, with it, Mark. Do you find that, um, that it's... Um, they're the people who cop probably 90, 95% of it. It's definitely the 99%. Um, and it's probably comes as no big surprise because, um, you know, they are the interface, the primary interface with uh, clients. And, um, and sometimes uh, the front counter staff may be uh, constrained in some ways, you know, in the, in the, the manner in which they can deal with the problem. So they often, the clients often feel like they're not getting what they want when they talk to the front counter staff. And and so I think empowering those people and um, and having set protocols in place so that the, the angry client feels that something is happening really can make a difference for those uh, front counter staff. But it's it's definitely the case that um, that that tends to be where things flare up initially. Absolutely. And I think the point that we lead on to that is that almost almost very close to 100% of those angry clients are, are just poor communication somewhere along the line or miscommunication somewhere along the line. So I think that's a very important thing to think about, that it's not, not um, you know, something that's done incorrectly it's just that thing hasn't been something hasn't been communicated correctly and that leads on to my 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 main um point mark in that um and it enables me to deal with them um, a lot better and that's thinking about strategies we can use to deal with those angry clients the first one that's always in the front of my mind is that it's not about you mark um, that if you have somebody yelling and screaming at you they're not screaming at you they're screaming about the situation and i find that very empowering um, when you think about that um, in front of that screaming client and i tend to just then switch off and, and go through the other strategies that we'll talk about in a sec. Um, and I feel a little bit zen then, Mark, um, realising that, no, they're not screaming at Brendan. They're screaming towards Brendan, but it's not a, about Brendan. Um, you've, nailed it on on right, you've nailed it right on the head, Brendan. It, it's very, very rarely a personal thing, but um, but being empathetic and, uh, um, and humanised and often... Um, uh, these things come in the form of part of a relationship that goes, you know, the, the, the veterinary client relationship, the veterinarian client relationship is often one that um, is is different that, um, than just a, a, um, a sales uh, a shop where that sells shoes or soft drinks. Um, there is a lot more emotion and empathy involved. And so I think uh, it is very easy to take it personally and feel that it is directed at you. And just even having that phrase in your mind that um, that this is not about me, that I'm uh, a conduit at the moment, I'm, I'm accepting the 
the discussion, the anger, the the whatever it is. Um, and as long as clients are, are not um, uh, vitriolic and uh, and unreasonable, um, then I think you're exactly right. You become Zen. You let them uh, get it off their chest. Um, and um, and there's some, like you said, some strategies to do that. Um, that uh, post process of positive listening, um, speaking not in opposition to them, but uh, validating what they say, um, repeating what they've said in a way back to them. So you might say something along the lines of, I hear that you're saying this, is this the nature of your problem? Um, and um, and oftentimes they blow out some steam, don't they, Brendan? Yep, they sure do. It's yeah, it's exactly that. Let them vent. Let them let them get angry and let them state what they need to get off their chest. And I think one of the very important things that I learnt after a fair period of time <laughs> is that you just you don't interrupt. You just stay silent. You engage them. You look at them. You stay silent and you listen. Um, you listen to what they're saying, um, and it's amazing how much that helps. Um, in that they they just feel good that the fact that they've they've got it off their chest that um, whatever situation that they're angry about, um, and they've managed to articulate it to you, um, that goes a very long way to defusing the situation with them. And as you just mentioned, I then will then repeat back their concern um, both to 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 understand that you have listened and that you have got it right in that that's what they were worried about um, in case it was something that was completely different and we have miscommunication again. Um, so we summarise or I su- try and summarise or we teach to summarise what the client um, what the client's complaint is um, and and do it in a positive manner, as you said, you'd say, is, 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 is X and Y what you are concerned about is that correct um and 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 um, give them the option to say yes um that's what i'm worried about and then we then we take the next step step from there mark which is what what options have we got from there so they've we've let them vent um they've they've calmed down a little bit because they've they've spewed spittle all over you and and um you've 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 wearing your face mask um, during COVID so you've, you haven't been sprayed too much with spittle from them venting and you've listened and reiterated or summarised what they've what their concern is back to them. What do we, what do, we do from there? Well, you, I think the key thing is uh, to take it seriously, to take ownership of the issue. Now, there may be times then that when we see the problem as a relatively uh, minor thing um, that um, has blown up out of all proportion. Um, and it may be that there's just some simple change in practice policy um, that an extra signature on a form is required or whatever it is. Um, but owning the problem or having someone own it, it may not necessarily be um, the vet or uh, the, the support staff who speak to the the um, client, uh, but someone has to undertake to own the problem and get back to the client. Um, and that's a critical and, one, isn't it? Because sorry to interrupt. Because no, you're right. It's it's not rare at all for for then it to be sort of handballed around the practice because it's not something you enjoy dealing with, um, even though it's essential. Um, but it is very important that that you know one person, ideally only ever the one person. Um, 
takes control of that complaint and, and they follow it through um, to both make sure it is followed through but also there's that one point of contact with the client and, and the client is told face-to-face or on the phone if it's by um, somebody else who's allocated the, the process that, hey, um, I'm here, I'm the person to deal with it. If you have any follow-up or, or we're not we're not contacting you quick enough or you have any other concerns, you contact me, I'm the person who's dealing with it. And that's not, I think it's just human nature that if there's multiple people dealing with a problem, then in the client's mind, someone will have said this, the other person can't say that they didn't. It just becomes confusing. And so a single person dealing with it solves that problem. And I think it's also really important that there's a timeline given that, you know, I'm going to have to look at this problem over a day or two and I undertake to get back to you at this time and then stick it in the scheduler, stick it in the appointment scheduler and make sure that you follow through. This, I think it's one of the principles of, of, uh, of life that I try, I don't do very well, but I try to live up to is that you just do what you say you're going to do. Um, and, but this is one situation where it's not negotiable. You just have to follow through. And if you say you're going to call them at a particular time on a particular day, you make sure you do it. Um, and that, you know, emphasized to them that, um, that it is important to you and that you are prioritizing whatever it is you're doing to solve their problem. Yep. And the other point that I always try and stress, and I think it's one of the other, well, they're all critical, but perhaps one of the more critical ones is making sure that we follow up promptly with the, with the, um, the complaint. Don't let it fester. Um, don't let it be a week later and you still haven't got plucked up the courage to call the client in or phone them and, and talk about the resolu- um the, the the process and the potential resolution of it. The longer you let it sit there, um, the more it is going to fester, and the angrier again they are going to become. It's inevitable, isn't it? You, you you're so correct with this one that um, in the absence of a positive direction, um, the problem will fester in their mind, and it will just become more evidence that they're right and people don't care. So, a prompt response at an appropriate, you know, at a predetermined time, um, it just really solves so many problems. And I know, um, having worked through many complaints, Brendan, that um, that. That's one of the things that makes just it, it makes people angrier that if they were told that they were going to get back to in 24 or 48 hours and that doesn't happen, that just inflames their worries exponentially and makes them angrier and harder to deal with. Yep, yep. And I, and I expect that a fair percentage of those ones that end up been taken to the veterinary board uh, exactly because of that, that there was a delay in addressing the complaint um, and if it had been nipped in the bud earlier um, with the same result um, that potentially may have happened when it finally went to the vet board, um, it, it wouldn't have got to the vet board at all. So what else do we do, Mark? Um, what, what other sort of um, thoughts do we have regarding dealing with these? We we um, we let let them vent. Um, we think that it's not about you. Um, we repeat their concerns back to them. We take ownership, or somebody takes ownership to follow it up, um, and they make sure that they follow it up as promptly as possible. Um, other other thoughts or, or tips, Mark? 
Well, one of my one of the other tips that I do have is don't always leap to uh, money as a resolution. Now, I know that many people, many of the problems arise about estimates or costs or whatever, um, but um, I would say that in my experience, no problem has been resolved, no board complaint has been prevented by acceding to financial demands. Not that I'm aware of. So I think our, you know, as veterinarians, our natural instinct is to go, oh, they feel like they've been uh, taken advantage of financially. So if I give them some money back, that will, you know, make them feel better. Um, almost invariably, my experience is uh, the, that makes the clients more upset that, you know, um, that it that the vet thinks it's just about the money and not about some other issue, or um, they they're trying to buy me off because they've done the wrong thing. So I would, there are individual cases where I would consider um, uh, reimbursing people, but they are very few and far between. Brendan, I think um, leaping to money in the first instance is a bad choice. Yes, interesting, interesting comment there, Mark. I think that introduces one one other thought that I have, and that is asking the client um, directly and saying, "Look, what can we do to fix this?" Um, do you think that's a good a, a good way to approach it, Mark? Even if it's an unreasonable response from the client, um, a lot of the times it's a, it's a response that's one unexpected that it might be no it's not about the money it's that you didn't you know um, show respect to fluffy or, or or myself or whatever um, that can be swiftly remedied um, and and it's it's something that we can um, resolve the issue uh, Mark so is is that something worthwhile doing it definitely is Brendan that once again you've opened up a new line of communication with the client and just because they've suggested a particular course of action might be a solution to them that doesn't mean you know that gives you ground to negotiate but at least you've started the communication and um, once you get to that point um, that lowers the whole like level of anger all round so I think it's a, an excellent choice to include in that um, communication at the beginning um, you know a question about how would you see us resolving this and funnily enough I often find when I ask questions like that that it has to do more with process, that um, clients, are, uh, if they see a veterinary practice that's making an effort to prevent this problem ever happening again, that a new protocol or a new procedure is put in place that means this won't happen. Um, uh, what's a good example I can think of? Um, I remember once we had a, a, a dog that, was, um, that had been, uh, um, had an immense surgery that was successful um, and um, went out to the client even after a, 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 um, a groom um, but it just soiled the area around its um, uh, around its bottom and the client was so upset that they'd spent so much time and um, they, they felt that that implied that though their poor dog hadn't been cared for while uh, while it was yes. after surgery, um, and just changing, talking to them about changing the frequency with which animals were checked in the cages, making that a bit of a change to the practice policy was all they wanted. Um, so, so I think sometimes, um, you know, as vets, we leap to the financial stuff. We're not 
oftentimes um, clients are much more interested in making sure that their perception of a compromise to animal welfare can't happen again. Yep. Great points, Mark. Um, yes, I think I think we've gee, we're uh, thirty minutes in. I think we've covered some great, great um, highlights of how to tackle some of these difficult clients. And by no means it's a be on end of of coping with this, um, of, of dealing with these clients. And some of them, no matter how how well you try and deal with it, you still end up with something that doesn't get resolved. And I think my final point with, with this, well, there's two. Um, one is um, follow up after it has been resolved and, and do it, you know, um, um, another, you know, literally a follow up, you know, a few days or a week or two later, somebody um, gets in contact with them again to make sure that everything's sorted. But um, it's the old um, comment that somebody said to me a long time ago, and, and, and that is don't be afraid of sacking your clients, Mark. Um, if it is an unreasonable request or a client that's been known to complain or, or yell at staff um, multiple times, that um, they're the ones that you think, gee, is it worth having this client in our practice or, or part of our practice? And the answer is no, and um, that's where you do that phone call um, and you say to them look we, we, we're not obviously servicing you um, correctly you don't seem happy you're always complaining or or, or, or appear angry um, we think it's maybe it's time to move on because um, we're not comfortable with having you as a client also I agree entirely, Brendan. There once was a time when um, sort of the the dominant paradigm was, you know, the client is always right. Um, and I don't think that's true anymore. I think, um, you know, we want to take every complaint as an opportunity to learn and build the business and, and correct um, um, mistakes that might be happening in the business. But we don't want to have those clients that are, um, that are, no end of trouble who want everything for nothing and who are unreasonable and i think it uh, in this day and age the mental health of our staff improves if our um if we stand with them um and say to particular clients who are um who are unable to be dealt with that um we're, we're not servicing you the way you want to be serviced and we think you should seek veterinary care for your uh, patients elsewhere um i reckon what you've said is exactly right. Don't be afraid of that uh, that particular manoeuvre. And yes, it's not. It's it's always something that when you hear a raised voice or two um, in in the clinic, which thank goodness it's few and far between these days in in our practice. And I think that's the you know trying to prevent the process happening in the first place. And that's by having adequate processes involved with with your practice and um walking the client carefully through through the whole um surgical aspect if it's a surgical case and the recovery before we've actually performed the surgery um to prevent it happening in the first place um but it's not something we like to deal with is it um and it can certainly ruin your day and or week regardless of how zen your approach is to it so but if it does occur and it will occur and unfortunately it's something that the new graduates um, of nurses technicians and, and vets mark have to 
well acquire those skills as they as they go through practice and, and realize that, that the time will come when they will de- get a complaint whether it's right or wrong and and they need the skills to help deal with that well summarized brendan well on that note we're going to get out of here and we'll let mr outro man come in and we will talk to you all next week for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time